Welcome to another sci-fi podcast where psychology and finances intersect. Today, I have a special guest, attorney advisor, Miss Emily Baggett. Thank you again for coming and being here today. We recently recorded a sci-fi class called Estate Planning, Approaching Your Financial Worries. And Emily, one of the reasons we're here today and one of the reasons we subtitled the class Approach Your Financial Worries is a lot of people know there are steps that need to be taken before death so that their families are well cared for. So I'm wanting to move people in the direction of approaching their financial worries rather than avoiding their financial worries. And as you so eloquently stated in the class, better do it while you're vertical before you're horizontal. <laughs> <laughs> yes, for sure. That, that's one thing you need to do it. Um, I made a joke that you, you need to do it while you're, while you're vertical above ground, but, but it is one of those things that you do need to start thinking about it while you're why you are alive, because once you're dead, it really is honestly too late. And a lot of people I know try to, sometimes it's one of those things they don't want to talk about it. And they, they don't want to talk about it to their family members. They don't want to talk about it to their loved ones. But you really do need to talk about it to, to your friends and family. And it's one of those things sometimes I tell folks, what my clients is that sometimes, you know, you don't have to wait till there's a crisis to talk about it. Go ahead and talk about it with your family when you're not in that crisis mode. Do it when it's not a time when it's kind of maybe at a relaxed time, just a regular family meal where you can have that relaxed time where everyone can talk about it. Because when you do it at that time, there's probably things that come up that you might not think about it. Because I know as we've talked about it, sometimes when you are dealing with a medical situation or a time when it's really a kind of a situation where you're dealing with other emotions, you might think about things mm. at that time that you wouldn't really deal with Very another good. time. And this is the first time I've heard an attorney or anyone ever say, this is dinner conversation. This is real world stuff that really should come up at the dinner table. This is, and, and at least in my family, the dinner table is where you share what we call your rose and your thorn. So what, what happened to you today that was lovely and beautiful? And then the thorn, what happened today that didn't feel so good or was hurtful? And so it's a great way to process. And death is not something that we always want to talk about, but it can bring peace to the family system when you actually do talk about it. And I did share my story about how my husband and I got off our duffs and finally created a will, appointed guardians officially. And the reason for that, it was my then 10-year-old daughter was very anxious about who was going to raise her if something should happen to us together. And if Nana and Papa or Grandpa and Grandpa, uh, Grandma and Grandpa listen to this podcast for some reason, they know that it's not because we don't love them, but we don't see them as frequently. And so she thought, well, geez, you know, I, I want to be I want to continue going to my school. I want to continue to be with my friends. And as a therapist, I know that's very important, especially in the few months following their state of grief. And like we discussed in the class, do this while you are in your right state of mind, because grief creates that grief fog. It creates a sense of emotional, feeling emotionally overwhelmed where you're not thinking reasonably, you're not thinking logically, and then you start making decisions 
based on that grief. And ultimately, that impulsive decision making can get you into a pickle. Well, and I think sometimes when you actually talk to your family members about it, then they actually give you, especially children, sometimes give you older children, adult children, give you feedback about your decisions Mm. that maybe you haven't thought about. Very good. That they give you think, because I have clients come back and say, well, I did what you said and I actually talked to my children and they actually said, why don't we do this? Mm-hmm. And I hadn't thought about that. And children, actually, adult children, if you actually talk to about it, might give you some feedback that you haven't mm-hmm. even thought about because they think about things differently sometimes. And you might be actually shocked because a lot of parents actually get sometimes very nervous about mm-hmm. telling one child versus the other why they've chosen one child as an executor. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one thing that parents get very nervous about is, I'm going to tell one child their executor. Well, I have found that honestly, sometimes children are relieved that they're not the executor. I was thinking the same thing. Please don't make me executor. They're very, I was relieved when my parents actually, I'm an attorney and I was relieved when my parents said I was not the executor. My my brother is because my dad and my brother own a business together. So I was like, yes, I'm not the executor. Mm. But we actually talked about several things that I had concerns about that I wanted mom and dad to make sure was covered in their will. But that's when parents actually talk to the things and they come back and say, well, they want to make sure this is covered. Is that covered? So that's one of the things I think that parents should think about when when you're actually sitting down to have that estate planning conversation. Right. So I hope the listeners out there, when you're thinking of Emily, an attorney, talking about even bringing this up at the dinner table, that this brings some sense of relief for you. And not only will your family members give you some ideas on maybe where you thought you wouldn't go, but it could also revalidate that you are making the right decisions. It could give you that extra ump that you need to follow through, that extra motivation. And so we talked a little bit about executor in our class. And for those that have not attended the class, it, the link to watch the recorded class will be available to you near this uh, sci-fi recording. So just look for it on the either below or somewhere on the screen. You'll see it there to where you can click and watch and get all the wonderful information that Emily has provided you. But we did talk a little bit about naming an executor. And I think it's important to remind folks that your executor does not necessarily have to be a family member. There is a lot of stress on an executor. And and if if you are naming an executor who is fully tied to that family system, you also have to validate that they're going to be experiencing their own grief when they're having to go through and sort through all of the information. So I had shared in the recording that I was actually looking at renaming an executor so that my brother wouldn't have to shoulder that much responsibility so that he could have appropriate time to grieve as well. So some some things that we talked about, we talked about obviously you can you can hire an attorney and for those who have the assets available to do this and when we talk assets, anything that is tied to your state, that attorney will simply just take their fee from your estate. It's very simple. You could also look at naming, if you have a favorite certified financial planner that you actually have a great relationship with, they already are into and and understand your finances, you know, that's also somebody. CPA, uh, again, as long as they're agreeing to being the executor and you have some terms set out for how they would withdraw the fees from your estate. But that's just something to think about. Anything you would add to that, Emily? 
Well, one of the things that when, when you're choosing your executor, and I've read several articles on this, is to make sure that you're choosing someone that is going to be around, hopefully longer than you. So, and also kind of keep up with your executor as to what's going on with them, maybe to see if for some reason they have some health problems or something, mm-hmm. you might want to swap that person out. And also just make sure they, I find it's easier if they live in your area. Sometimes people, they choose someone, for example, in California. Well, if that's really the person that you trust, then absolutely choose that mm-hmm. person. But if you can find someone sometimes that live, lives in the area, that's helpful too. But it doesn't always necessarily work in that for every situation. Very good advice. I really like that. And and speaking of, I I want to move into because naming an executor, even thinking of who you want to be, your executor can be a barrier to actually following through with creating a will. So I wanted to read for the audience, um, for those that attended and actually were there at the virtual class, they completed a survey and I got 20 responses. And one of the questions was, what are your perceived barriers in taking the steps to plan your estate? And I thought I would share these barriers with the audience because you might identify with some of these things. And then Emily and I can talk about these to how you can overcome what your perceived barriers might be. And some of them are a little hilarious. The first one, very striking, not shocking, laziness. I mean, whoever did this just came right out and said, look, this is my perceived barrier. And procrastination is hand in hand with that laziness. And that's so common, especially in financial planning. Uh, Then we have time to complete the will. And, And the next one is time as well. So we got double on time right away. We got three actually that are tied to time. But Emily and I can vouch that the time that it actually takes to complete a will, and at least for me, we got a pre-worksheet that took all of 20 minutes to actually complete, but it did bring up some questions that we were able to mull over before we sat with the attorney. But the time that we were actually in the attorney's office finalizing and signing, I want to say about 30 to 45 minutes, it really did not take a lot of time. Any thoughts on that? Honestly, it probably does not take as long as people think it does in the attorney's office. It's really the questionnaire generally, like you said, that you get prior to getting to an attorney's office. Yeah. And that that is where the questions kind of you are going to spend most of the time because it does have some tough, tough questions that you're going to have to answer as far as who you do want your executor to be, where you want things to go. And that's where you are going to have to think. And you are going to have to have information, addresses, things of that nature that you're going to have to put on that questionnaire. But I don't think it's going to take as much time as necessarily Mm. you might think it's going to. I think it's just that perception. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's just the perception. Sometimes it's not the reality. So it's one of those things. Thank you, Emily, for reading my mind. I love how you did that because, again, these are perceived barriers. And perceptions are not always reality-based. So again, it's about approaching your financial worries rather than avoiding. And listen, as a therapist, the hallmark of an anxiety disorder is avoidance. So the sooner you approach the stressor or the worry, 
the sooner you will experience relief because then it will become steeped in reality. Wow, that wasn't so bad. And actually, as I'm looking over here, we have about six entries noted for time. Another one is cost. And it really doesn't have to be expensive. I mean, if anything, a lot of you have access to the legal team here at Redstone Arsenal where you would pay nothing. But I do understand a lot of you may not be eligible for that service, but you you would also need to challenge that perceived barrier because in reality, the cost of creating a will is going to depend on your specific situation. If you have the assets available definitely start looking for an attorney. Talk to your friends. Who did they use? If they didn't use anyone and they're still in the same boat as you, then you guys can do your homework together and become accountability partners and and work together on this. But it really does not have to cost a lot. And a perfect example is when my husband and I decided to hire a CPA because we had a rental income. I was working in private practice at the time as a clinician. Best money we could have spent. And really the consultation fee, all of it said and done, $400. And no kidding, she saved us over $17,000 in taxes. So it's also a cost benefit analysis as well. So I know, and I don't want to downplay that $400 is a lot of money, but that's a CPA. We're not talking about creating a will. I would have ventured to say, Emily, that most wills are not going to cost $400. (laughs) No, there's different different prices depending on what all you, you need to do. And there's different resources out there for veterans. If you are a veteran and do not qualify necessarily for our office at the Staff Judge Advocate Office, then there's other things such as with the Madison County Volunteer Lawyers Program. I know they run Wills Clinics sometimes for veterans programs. Also, then if you go back to, if you actually watch the um, program from the other day, I talk about actually what are the requirements for the will. There's actually only three basic requirements for a will. And if you meet those requirements, you've met your requirements for a will. Mm -hmm. So that's actually what just a basic will is. So sometimes it just gets as basic as that. um, Mm -hmm. And that's all really you have to do. And I'm not saying necessarily go and necessarily write your own will, but that I'm just trying to try to let people know that it's not necessarily sometimes as complicated as in need you think it's going to be. But and that's what the attorney can walk you through um, when you right. go talk to the attorney. That's right. And that's where that planning fallacy comes into play, where our clients, they set unlikely financial goals because people are envisioning either the best case scenario or the worst case scenario. And then they get stuck in the muck and the mire of either one. (laughs) So uh, some people think, oh, if I just put this together, then, you know, all will be said and done. Now, when it comes to your will, yeah. But in other areas, you also need to understand that it's not as difficult that you're making it out to be in your head. So actually approaching it doing it, that's going to be the thing. I mean, you could talk to Emily all day. You could talk to me all day on the merits of getting this will done as soon as possible. But until you actually do it, you're not going to experience the reality of, oh, that was not as bad as I thought. And speaking of, we have some more barriers that are perceived barriers that were listed from live people that watch the live virtual class. Some other things that people say, knowing, uh, excuse me, lack of knowledge, lack of information, 
who to reach out to to ask questions, deciding how to distribute accounts, gathering all the financial accounts, understanding if I should set up a trust or use a will. So in a lot of these barriers, you're, you're hearing people overthink what needs to be done before they actually do it. And, and when we worked with our attorney here, we quickly discovered all the things that we thought we had to show we didn't have to show at all. And actually, a lot of that we were told to make sure that our executor understood where our information was. And and just to throw this out there, Emily, and, and I want to get your feedback as our last point on this today, is when you are looking at how you're wanting to set up your will, you also have to look at how you are wanting people to gather information once you have passed. That includes how are people going to access your accounts? Because not all of that is in your will. Your passwords, um, you had a really good term, digital. It was a, a program that was mentioned in, in the recording, but your digital assets, those things, we're, we're talking not just your bank accounts, we're not talking just your retirement accounts, TSP, all that. We're also talking about your social media accounts and, and getting into your cell phone to have access to different things. Uh, and so we'll make sure to post that link that we discussed in our uh, recording so that you have access to that as well. So any last parting thoughts regarding what you should leave friends and family with so that they could be best cared for? I would just say just on that is just do start making a list of everything where everything is. And that, that's really the best thing is have a notebook or have a list. That really is the best device. So then they know where every where to find everything. And please do not put your will in your safety deposit box. Mm, very <laughs> nice. Well, Emily, thank you so much for being here and reiterating this wonderful class that we did together not too many days ago. And I appreciate the legal office here at Redstone Arsenal allowing Emily to be here today. And we hope you all the best in your planning for those who have the perceived barriers of lack of knowledge, lack of information, and all the tangled up things that you're thinking about, reach out to a professional. That's the best thing that you can do to get tethered to reality. Can't wait to be with you next time with our next sci-fi podcast.